All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Prep for Impact, a Green Beret Foundation podcast. I'm your host, Matt Parrish, retired Green Beret. And I've got a great episode for you today. We had a very cool uh, fellow Green Beret guest named Sean Hurd. He was a it was a Ranger Regiment kid uh, who ultimately went to fifth group uh, as a Green Beret and a really cool episode to look at sort of maturation as a leader as you're coming up and you look back and learn some of the lessons learned and put them into practice as a leader. The other reason I wanted to have Sean on is he's taken a little bit of a unique transition journey after he retired. Uh, you know, there's there's well-worn paths back into contracting and government civilian work and all those things, uh, but he chose to go into sales specifically. And then not only was he successful in sales, but now he's joined with others in, a, in an opportunity called Shift Group where they uh, teach and mentor vets into how to become successful salespeople. So taking a lot of the great uh, attributes that people have learned, especially in special operations and special forces career, and using them to be successful as salespeople uh, is a really cool opportunity to kind of talk through some of the comparison and contrast of that. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Sean's a very cool, very fun conversation with him, and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation as much as I do. Enjoy this episode episode of Prep for Impact, a Green Beret Foundation podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Prep for Impact. As you heard in the opener, I got a great guest for us today, Mr. Sean Hurd, uh, retired Green Beret. Sean, thanks for coming in, man. How you doing today? Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. Well, I like to kind of start, uh, you know, just like when I was doing Softcast, I like to start with a little bit of people's background, right? There's a lot of people that will tune into this. They hear you're a Green Beret, but that's all they really know, right? What's cool or one of the cool things about you is you came through like the ultimate sort of good background path to get into SF, right? You went into Ranger Regiment, you had some experience there, and then ultimately went to SFAS and became a Green Beret. What was kind of the spark that made you want to come in, period, made you want to become a Ranger, and then on uh, into Special Forces? So, um, to be honest with you, like, uh, all I really cared about was being a Ranger when I was in high school because yeah. I, uh, I I read that book on Mogadishu. Yeah. I got probably like a lot yeah. of guys that are about our age, and yeah. I was like, that's pretty cool. So, uh, I read that and I had some family, you know, military is usually like a family business. Mm -hmm. So like I had some, some, an uncle who was a ranger, uh, Lurse guy yeah. back, back in Vietnam and stuff. So, nice. uh, that was, I was locked in. That was my goal. Um, funny story. Uh, I couldn't get a 75th contract. Yeah. Uh, I, I got an 82nd airborne yeah. contract. And so when I showed up to Fort Benning, uh, to sign in, I saw um, a guy that had a Ranger tab, and I said, hey, I really want to go to the 75th. Yeah. And he pulled me aside and got me a contract nice. at MEPS. Heck yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah. yeah, man. Um, I remember when I was going through the same thing at Benning, there was, uh, I joined on an 18X-ray, but there was a bunch of kids who either wanted that contract or option 40. And every couple of weeks, somebody would come by like, hey, is anybody, you know, and kids would volunteer. So uh, I try to tell, you know, I'm sure you got the same thing. People reach out to you and they're like, hey, I'm looking to join, whatever. I'm having trouble getting the contract. Like, it sounds hokey, but 
Yeah. If you get in, most of the time, if you want to volunteer, you can get a shot. Yeah. yeah it's just uh, like, you know, anything we do, just uh, you got to kind of sell yourself and stand yeah. out and then you'll, you'll well, get what you want, man. Yeah. So obviously uh, it's always been tough to uh, be a new guy in the Ranger Regiment. It still is today. But back in the day, obviously uh, pretty, pretty tough onboarding and first year, I would say. Right. So talk me through like you get in, you've been wanting to be a Ranger your whole life. You finally get a chance to, to go that way. Uh, definitely some uh, some corrective training, I'm sure, and a little bit of assimilation into the unit. How'd you find it when you're a young ranger? Um, yeah, so I I was pre nine eleven. Yeah. So I got there uh, what two thousand, right? Yeah. So I got there in two thousand. Uh, joined the army in ninety nine, and when I got there, I would, I would just like a lot of us. I was like a high school sports, yeah. like not not pro level, but I was like really decent at high school sports, yeah. good physical fitness and all that kind of stuff. But I, I showed up the Ranger regiment and uh, just like kind of my personality on LinkedIn. Um, I was, I was, I was loud and I expressed my opinion even as a private. Well, they didn't really like that there. So uh, I did get, I, I did get, uh, I did get a lot of corrective training. Um, my, my first squad leader, actually, I think you served with that seven group was yeah. uh, John Eisenberg. Yes, I did. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yes. Johnny Eisenberg, one yeah. of the greatest uh, Green Berets I ever worked with. Yeah. Hilarious dude, but not afraid to uh, straighten somebody out with corrective uh, action for sure. Yeah, and then it wouldn't be, it, I couldn't even really get into what, what happened to me there. But uh, it <laughs> statute was a, of limitations is not over. It was a very, very tough first year. My mouth got me in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, and, but, um, I ended up going to ranger school and, uh, you know, getting through that, yeah. that time period, man. Yeah. It, it was tough. It, it, it kind of set me up for, uh, you know, everything else I did in the army. Yeah. And what I do tell people, if they do reach out to me and they want to join the army, I always send them to ranger regiment. Yeah. I don't over being a green beret right yeah. off the bat. This is kind of, I think the, it's a good path. I get it, man. I, I've, I've said for a long time, like I I'm blessed. I was one of the guys that was lucky and made it through 18 x-ray and everything else. But if there was any other path that I would have wanted to take, it would have been through ranger regiment. Cause I went to ranger school after I was an SF guy and had a couple of dudes from ranger regiment that we stayed together the whole time through ranger school. And we were all kind of the same age and everything else. And like, it was cool to be some small part of the brotherhood, but it was nowhere near as cool as like going and getting a scroll and then working your way up. But, uh, you know, all through the Q course, all through my time at seventh group, most of the experienced dudes that I like really looked up to, like Johnny and all these other guys had come from Ranger Regiment or at a minimum had come from like light infantry, 82nd, 101st. But the regiment guys always stood out above and beyond. I had a couple of those dudes. I had an E6 when I was in RSUT, small unit tactics, you know, phase two. One of the E6s on my squad was like a Ranger Regiment dude. And he might as well have like been an instructor, right? It was just like, dude, I just want to listen to this guy, whatever he does, I want to do. At what point did you start looking at like, okay, uh, I've, I've got, I've got uh, you know, a scroll, I've got a tab, all these things. Now I'm thinking about going and assessing for SF. So um, unique story, my, my platoon leader was a prior Green Beret. Oh, okay. Seven. Yeah. Um, he actually was the third group commander recently, uh, mm. Jason Johnston. I don't yeah, know if yeah, you yeah. remember or not. Yeah. And uh, so he was a prior Green Beret. And just, I really looked up to the guy, like the yeah. way he kind of, he was a combat diver too, which I ended up doing in my career. But yeah. uh, the way he kind of presented himself and every day at work and he critically, the way he critically like thought through all the problems and stuff. 
I was as a real young guy, I was super impressed by yeah. him. So um, I, that he was the one that made me start kind of research. He didn't tell me to, obviously, yeah. but he's the one that kind of motivated me to start yeah. looking into doing something different. Because I'm not that I'm one of those guys. I don't like sticking around the same spot. If you yeah. look at my career, I don't think I was ever anywhere at one spot longer than like three or four years. I yeah. just like to always stick stick on a move, look for something different. Yeah. Spec Ops Tools has two missions: developing the highest performing hand tools available and supporting the men and women who serve our nation. They employ veterans, support veteran philanthropic events and donate revenue from every sale to veteran service organizations that make a real impact. Go check out Spec Ops Tools today at specopstools.com. Prep for Impact is proudly brought to you by the Green Beret Foundation. The Green Beret Foundation takes a holistic approach to prioritize the well-being of Green Berets, their families, caregivers, and survivors. Green Beret Foundation's programs focus on nurturing the U.S. Army Special Forces community's mind, body, and spirit. Their five pillars of support work together to empower the Special Forces community to achieve their full potential in service to our country. Living lives of honor, dignity, and purpose. Visit GreenBeretFoundation.org for more information. No, it's good, man. And there's no better, there's no better recruiter than like a super squared away dude who's been at that place, right? Like it's the same thing for you know, I forget where it was we were talking about, uh, you know, I was with some Green Berets recently and we were talking about like the current recruiting challenges and whatever else. It's like, man, the best recruiter is like a, a guy who had a successful career who's now out in his transition and is successful and spots and assesses like a young motivated kid. It's like, hey man, you should come, you should join the army, you should go to Ranger Regiment, you should do these things. Like this is the path that's available to you. Cause I think right now a lot of people just kind of see the, uh, see the negatives like that are on social media and everything else. And it's like, man, there's, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm very happy to have served and uh, had an incredible career, uh, you know, just as far as opportunities uh, that I was able to be around, you know, guys like Eisenberg and all those people. But um, so you go to, you, you start looking at it, you decide to go to selection. How'd that process work out for you? How'd so you look I at- had odds. I went to yeah. selection um, June of um, 2001. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I got selected. I came back. I actually went to first group. Yeah. They did this OJT program yeah, on okay. Fort Lewis. Yeah. And, uh, I was on, they put me on a, um, like a boat team. They had these yeah. things called Marops teams, yeah. which we didn't really have when I got to SF, but we were, we were rowing on September 10th yeah. in uh, Puget Sound yeah. and we were on an Island and then the towers got hit. Yeah. So, uh, we had to rush back, and um, at the time, Second Ranger Battalion, who I still was actually assigned to, yeah. uh, was in Germany. So I was like, "Man, they're going to go to war." Yeah. So I, I kind of there, there's there's a a healthy rival. I, it was yeah. unhealthy back then, but um, they didn't really like the fact that I was going to go be a Green Beret. To be honest with you, so yeah. um, I was kind of on the outside, but I like kind of said, "Hey, can I stay?" And yeah. I ended up going on 275's first uh, nice. combat deployment. I didn't know that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's In the war cool. on terror. Yeah. yeah. Um, man, that's, that. yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting because I, I haven't seen too many of those OJT things. There was an occasional kid yeah. when I was in seventh group that would come over, but that's a cool opportunity. That's one of the only places where there's a Ranger battalion and an SF group at the same place. So kind of cool that like, hey, he's already been selected. Let him go check it out over in first group. And then, you know, obviously nobody knew that, all of a sudden, September 11th was going to kick off. So you yeah. get a chance to go to the Ranger Regiment, 
you go to combat and then come back. Yeah. Uh, so how did you feel having gone to selection? You go back to 275, you get to go to war. How was that first appointment? What was that? Oh, two. Oh, two. Yeah. It was right yeah. after um, uh, we we got alerted because Robert, uh, the first ranger battalion got shot down. Yeah. And we got alerted and the platoon that was in Kandahar at the time. You should have seen Kandahar. It was like <laughs> tiny. <laughs> yeah, it was like 200 people. Yeah. They, 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 they were essentially combat ineffective. They lost like a bunch yeah. of equipment. They, I think they had three uh, deaths. Mm-hmm. So they, we literally got alerted and got on a, a plane, went to Oman and then infilled into, cause they only had one platoon there and we yeah. switched out with them. Yeah. right after Roberts Ridge. Mm-hmm. And my very first combat mission was recovering the helicopter that got shot down. Really? Yeah, so they uh, they were rotating um, fire teams out there to sit under a parachute and watch it wow. until the weather cleared up to bring in this big crane helicopter to pull out. pull out that uh, wow. Chinook. Because at the time, I think it was like the most expensive helicopter in the world. Yeah. And so we, we pulled that out and then, uh, yeah, I mean, full transparency, like that, that deployment wasn't that great for me. It wasn't mm. what I really expected. It was in, uh, so, and you said the best recruiters are like the actual yeah. guys I saw, like, I think it was fifth group lived yeah. down the road and they, they were just like running around, like, look to me, it looked all crazy. Cause yeah. that, even back, we had the high Yeah, I was going to say, you guys were that. still yeah. like super disciplined, everything. Yeah, like- and, um, we were, it, it we were kind of at the bottom of the of the totem pole for the task force we yeah. were in, doing a lot of like KP duty and yeah. burning. Yeah, it's crazy the that. difference yeah. that Ranger Regiment now <laughs> versus yeah. like early two thousand. Yeah. So uh, I started wild. getting a little antsy, and at the end yeah. of the appointment, I uh, I I, I, I uh, got in trouble yeah. with uh, my squad leader, and uh, which kind of set it in motion. I was already selected. Yeah. So I was like, hey, when I go back, I'm. Go- I'm, I'm gonna go to Q horse. So that's kind of what happened. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I got the the chance to go on a couple of those deployments where we were co-located with uh task force red and, yeah. you know, great dudes. And again, by the middle of the war, they were, you know, being utilized in much different ways as a preeminent raid force and in much higher standing in some of those task forces. Yeah. But you always know, like, you don't want idle hands on any Green Berets sitting around, but yeah. you definitely don't want idle hands on a bunch of young Rangers who are, uh, you know, are, yeah. are motivated and, uh, you know, highly trained badasses. But also if they're sitting around without something to do, they're probably going to break some stuff and they're probably going to get a little antsy and do some stuff that uh, yeah maybe doesn't give them the best uh, chance to have a good standing when they leave there. But yeah. Yeah. So you decided to go to Q course, right? Yeah. So, I left there as a fire, I left there as a fire team leader right when I got back and uh, went yeah. to the Q course. So how'd you feel? I mean, uh, so a lot of guys that at that point, I'm assuming most of the guys that you're in the Q course with do not have combat experience yet. Right. So you're coming in and at least you've seen the war, right? Uh, no, that's like yeah, 03. No, no, there was nobody that had right. com- like I, I had a um, CIB and a, um, yeah. In a, in a combat scroll. Yeah. And everybody's like looking at me crazy because I think I was like 21. Yeah. Like you weren't around for yeah. the last time those were given out. And, so. and so like the only other guys were like the, on Fort Bragg were like the, there was like the third group yeah. guys. Yeah. There were some third group guys that went that, that beginning stages of yeah. Afghanistan. But yeah, man, it was, uh, it was a good experience. Uh, but I did, you know, I was glad to move on and, and try something different. Yeah. And yeah. So I went to Q course. I think it was like 03. Yeah. Yeah. 03 time frame. Yeah. I was, uh, 
you were you were going through when I was probably a couple, uh, probably like a year behind you. You know, at the time, um, like you said, we all we all really uh, respected guys who come from Ranger Regiment because they had a lot of knowledge, had a lot of experience. You even more so because you had gotten a chance to go to combat. How did you find that prepared you? Like, was it? Uh, did you obviously with small unit tactics? I'd assume pretty felt pretty prepared, pretty squared away on it. But was there anything that really like threw you a curveball when you came into the Q course? You're like, oh. This is not something I was expecting, or this is not something I already kind of had some knowledge in. Was there anything that really like, uh, which MOS were you too? A Bravo. Yeah. yeah. Um. So when I went to the Q course, it was the beginning stages of the 18 X-ray program yeah, where yeah. they were taking guys off the street. Yeah, there's so dirt bags. I think it was I like was the one. first year. Yeah. So it, it was odd times at at Fort Bragg, yeah. you know, at SWIC, but uh, essentially the way the Q course was being ran, they were having a lot of trouble getting those guys uh, boned up on, like, basic stuff. Yeah. So they kind of, like, left us, like, essentially. <laughs> like, I didn't have, like, a patrol, I think, and uh, really? his small unit Because they just were like, all right, man, he's a you yeah, know, combat yeah. you know, combat ranger. Like, he's well, good. Yeah, it was just weird. Like, um, they, they were just really hyper-focused on getting those guys through. Yeah. And uh, I didn't really – I didn't get much out of the Q course minus, like, you know, learning the, the weapon systems yeah, and stuff yeah. you need to know as a Bravo. But I, I, now that I look back – at the time, I thought it was kind of a waste of time. Yeah. But now that I look back, um, I think the main thing I would take away is, like, I when I was at Ranger Regiment and I went to the Q course um, – I didn't pivot my my personality, not my personality, but just the way I interacted with people. Yeah. And um, it's just a little different environment. So, like, I had a hard time when I was younger uh, being in, in groups of diverse people because, like, you know, you, at Ranger Regiment, you're, you're, you're taught that you're essentially, like, the best thing that, <laughs> the, that the Army has, which you yeah. are, but uh, there was no empathy there, right? Yeah. So, like... And I, I tell a lot of people this. I didn't really learn empathy until I was like an E eight. Yeah. Like. No, I hear you. Yeah. It was a long journey, man. Yeah. And uh, so, like, I'm I, I'm sure, like, through my career, I, I ran across a bunch of people where, like, uh, just because like my lack of empathy. Yeah. Um, I, I just, you know, thought that I was like better than everybody all the time. Yeah. And I did perform at a high level, but that's just uh, something that I think. Um, leadership does to you and mm -hmm. that's why i'm glad i had the opportunity to actually move up through the ranks and make e9 yeah. is because now in the civilian world empathy is like yeah. really huge yeah no yeah. I, I identify with that i mean like i i felt like um i felt like i got my first neck injury a little bit before i took over as a team sergeant and i think god did that on purpose because before that if I would have had a guy who would have been in the same position I was, I would have been like, oh, a dirtbag, like he's just trying to get out of stuff. And then once it hit me and I was in like excruciating pain all the time and had to go get the surgery, it gave me some empathy to some of the other guys when I was a team sergeant who were banged up. And it's like, hey man, this dude's done eight years in a row on a team and he's banged up, like we need to take care of him. Whereas if I was still, you know, 25 year old me, I probably been like, oh man, dirtbag, get rid of him, send him to the B team. Uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard to be tough nosed and also have some empathy. There's like a hard line to walk there where you want to make sure you're really holding a standard. Like, you know, the reason Ranger Regiment's so good because a lot of times you get told, like, hey, I don't, you know, you were the young brash dude saying, hey, this is my opinion, and probably got told, like, yeah, okay, I don't give a shit. Like, come over here and do this. Yeah. And so there's a hard line. You know, it's kind of tough as a leader to figure out, like, 
when to do that and say, hey, yeah, all right, good idea, fairies are great, but like this is what we're going to do versus being empathetic sometimes to some of those guys and hearing their ideas or thinking through it a little bit. I mean, I, I, I feel what you're saying about not being very empathetic early on. It's, yeah, I, uh, I got... So it's like, not a breeding ground for empathy initially when like you're... A good Eisenberg yeah. story. I, 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 uh, I, we, the we, most empathetic Green Beret yeah. of all time. Yeah. We, we, we jumped in. Yeah. I was a private and we jumped yeah. into a drop zone. And back then you would jump in on Monday and you would tr walk around yeah. and train all week. Yeah, so yeah. You, and you would sleep on the range. Yeah. So I jump in, I break my tailbone. And I knew it was broke right away. So like, uh, I was like, hurting pretty bad and then you're supposed to pop this red chem light and i'm like i'm not gonna pop this chem light dude because like i thought that the culture at the time i thought i was gonna get kicked you know if i yeah. popped the red chem light yeah I was like, get, yeah so i uh didn't pop it and uh you know i went and trained all week with a broken tailbone laying on the ground and uh I don't think they believe me. Like yeah. I went up to Eisenberg. I'm right. like, Hey, I, I can't sleep, man. Like there's something going on. And, you know, he didn't really care. And then like, <laughs> when I got back to the barracks, I went to the, take a shower and I looked in the mirror and like, I was, it was purple. My yeah. blood was completely purple, man. So like I went, I went in there and I, I said, Hey guys, look at this. And they're like, Oh, <laughs> you weren't playing around, but uh, it, it was broke. But like, um, you know, that's super extreme, but it did, it, it does. It did make me like, uh, a, a, a Ranger Regiment gave me the ability to handle like very hard situations yeah. and not like buckle or be yeah, soft fall about apart. it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like there's pluses and minuses. And there's a reason yeah. why why they do it. Yeah. But um, you don't you don't you, you can't apply that in all situations, yeah. especially as you grow as a leader. So well, and I think yeah. I think he set up you know like you said he set up that way for a reason. There's a lot of good that comes out of it, yeah. and there's a lot of like I guarantee you. Over, even over the course of this show, of all the leaders I talk to, yeah. I don't think we're going to be the only two who are like, yeah, as a young dude, I didn't want to hear it. I wasn't empathetic at all. And then as I yeah. matured and I had my own experiences and I started realizing, and I think he's set up for that way. Like, you don't want that squad leader taking excuses from those privates and letting them off the hook. You want him driving them hard. And then, you know, as it goes up the line as problems have to get elevated up to eventually the SAR major or the platoon SAR or something like he's the guy who can potentially be like, okay, I get it. I'm, I'm more mature. I've seen more of these situations. Like, all right, let's take care of this kid. He's got a broken tailbone. His entire lower back is purple. Like we should yeah. probably let him in. Yeah. Uh, now Johnny phenomenal dude. Yeah. I, uh, golly. He, uh, he and I were on a team together. He and I were in C37 for a long time together and I used to be pretty good at rucking, right? Like yeah. that, cause a big dude. And like, that was my thing. We do UBRs, upper body round robin stuff. Like that was my best event. And you know, he's a smaller dude, wiry dude. And I could not catch that dude, man. He yeah. was the, biggest physical stud on earth. And there was, there was a couple of times where we lined up and I'm like, Johnny, I got you this time. Right. And I, <laughs> I would get super close to him and he would revert back to a time when he was E and E and away from the enemy and, and would take off and never stop moving. Uh, like halfway through the ruck, yeah. it was like a five mile ruck. And he'd tell me afterwards, he's like, dude, as soon as I saw you, you were coming up and I just reverted back to E and E and when I was a young private and just like, dude, he would take off and he'd yeah. be running like a six thirty mile. I'm like, Oh, I thought I had him this time, you know, and he he finished like four minutes ahead of me. He's just one of those dudes that seem to get stronger with age somehow. He's yeah. just like, yeah, dude's awesome, man. Yeah. But anyway, um, I'm curious, you know, as you look back now, as you talked about having that experience, having some maturation and thinking about it, 
how do you assess your maturation as a leader and as a person? You know, you talked about some of that empathy thing. How about the rest of it? As you moved your way up in group, um, how did you feel like you were prepared for each one? Were you a guy who like, hey, I'm ready to be a team sergeant. I finally got eight. I go in and execute right away. Were you a guy who like, okay, hey, I became a team sergeant. Like I thought I knew what it was. And then I got into the seat and realized there was a lot of things. You know, everybody's got their own kind of experience of going through, uh, you know, working their way up the ranks. How did you feel as you get into the team sergeant days and the sergeant major days? So I, I always got promoted early. Yeah. I made up, what, seven and seven, yeah. eight and three years later or yeah, whatever. Me too. Yeah. Uh, sergeant major at yeah. like 15 yeah, same boat. Yeah. Or, or 16 or something yeah. like that. And uh, it took me a while to pin because I was like, at yeah. the very bottom, or, yeah. yeah. But uh, that's how they get us yeah. every time. I did the same thing. It was like two years on a on a list. Like, can yeah. I can I ever get this thing or what? <laughs> but uh, I would say I was always ready, uh, technically and, and tactically, to be in any position. I was always chomping at the bit to get to the next position. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'd say like by the time I got E eight, I don't think I was like mature enough on the like uh, the stuff we're talking about with dealing with, uh, with, with people's like personal lives and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So like, I was really good at the army stuff. I wasn't really good at the, the other stuff. Right. I was yeah. good at counseling and all that stuff, yeah. but like, uh, a couple things, uh, there was two things that I did as a team sergeant that I'm not proud of. One of them was, uh, I had a young guy who, got his wife pregnant on purpose right before her deployment, mm. which, and then, and then he had to go to all these appointments and it was his first appointment with the team. Mm. And like, in my mind, I'm like, why would you get your wife pregnant? You're about to go to Afghanistan for yeah. eight months. We got all this training to do. And I kind of scolded him for yeah. it, man. And then I had a, uh, a really good warrant officer, uh, Carrie Hyde, who pulled me aside. He's like, dude, like, what are you doing, man? Like, <laughs> And I, I it, but I, cause I didn't have any kids yeah. as an E8, I was a young E8, yeah. but once I had kids and I, I realized um, how important it was just to my wife, just to be at a doctor's appointment. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's what he was going through. Right. Yeah. So, um, I grew, I, I grew from like, like having kids was a big, big thing that oh, helped yeah. me grow in the army. And then the, the, the second one was like, um, I was always like calling people out. Mm. especially like uh support people and stuff for not doing their job yeah uh without understanding like their the environment and yeah, what they were yeah. going through right which uh it when i became a first sergeant at swick yeah. i i uh i was actually like real friendly to the to the enablers right yeah. uh but that was a growth thing yeah but yeah so i would say i was ready but uh there was some stuff that i had some big gaps and it was a lot of it just dealing with uh you know, people as a person, yeah, empathy yeah. and all that type of stuff. But I think I eventually uh, learned it as when I made E9. Yeah. yeah. This episode is brought to you by the Green Beret Foundation's Next Ridgeline program. The Green Beret Foundation's Next Ridgeline Transition Support Program ensures that Special Forces soldiers and their families are prepared for all of life's transitions. Transitioning from active duty service to civilian life is one that all soldiers will go through, and this program provides a trusted resource for navigating the VA disability claims process. The GBF is the only soft nonprofit accredited by the US VA to prepare, file, and appeal VA disability claims and benefits. For more information, visit greenberetfoundation.org slash transition support. 
Most tool companies try to be everything to everyone, but the result is just okay. That is why SpecOps Tools focuses on two main goals, designing and building the best hand tools available and supporting veterans in every capacity they can. You can have the most elite hand tools while doing good for veterans nationwide with SpecOps Tools. Check them out today at specopstools.com. No, I mean, I, that's, yeah. I, I definitely understand, man. I, I look back on like the early combat rotations that we yeah. did and I had dudes on my team who had kids and I was either like young, uh, not quite married or young married and didn't have kids yet yeah. during that time. And I thought at the time, like I understood what they were feeling. It's like, oh, I miss my wife and whatever. And then like once I had kids, it was like, holy cow, like just yeah. completely different. Like I, I did not have a proper amount of respect for some of those dudes who were there. We were there for nine months or whatever. And back in the day when like there was not FaceTime and maybe you got a Skype call, but it was like terrible and you could kind of see. And I was like, man, I can't imagine now like uh, not being able to see my kids at all. So my, like my yeah. first uh, fifth group deployment to yeah. Iraq in 04. Yeah. Um, I call my, we had, all we had was Iridium. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> there was no video chat. That's super long yeah. uh, delay when you're sitting there calling. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So like I call, I, I call my wife twice in six months. Wow. And yeah. uh, like, to be honest, she almost left me because yeah. we didn't have kids or anything. We were yeah. young, but uh, cause she got word from the older guys that were like calling all the time. Yeah. But I didn't think there was a couple things going on. Like I was like, Hey, this is my first appointment. I want right. to prove myself. Um, actually we're, you know, I was getting, uh, we were a pretty dangerous deployment yeah. and, um, you know, I got hit a bunch of IEDs and stuff, but, yeah. uh, where was that? All right. Uh, Scandaria. My team sergeant yeah. was, uh, Scott Neal. You know, yeah, uh, um, Scotty Neal. Yeah. he's not the owner. Is yeah. he, is he owner? Yeah, one of my thing. He's a like horse soldier. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he's he's one, one of the dudes from what? Five, nine, five. No, uh, he was, like, we were in eight, one, five. No, I'm saying he was, uh, I think he was five, nine, five when they did the horse soldier thing. And that why he started it or was he not on that? No, he was, I thought an, he was, he was an eight, one, eight, one, five went with those guys. Uh, to Afghanistan. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, so that was my first, uh, deployment. And then, uh, after, you know, so like, that was kind of like the bad mindset I had. Yeah. I was like, Hey, I'm over here. I need to stay alive. Keep all yeah. my buddies. You know, I got all these responsibility. Like it's tough, man. It's tough not to do that when you're yeah. like, Hey man, I just want to, you know, like I'm at war. I just want, you know, like, and it's hard to balance two lives and like maintain this other one on the back burner. Yeah. But yeah, but, but, it's it tough, does, but when you become a leader and yeah. then the guys want to call their wife right. all the time, you don't understand. Yeah, you're like, I didn't do that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's just whatever. It's yeah. yeah, it's just a learning experience. Yeah. What's your when you look back at all the different teams? Like we always talk about NSF, how incredible the ODA is, the 12 man team. Um, you know, you have good ones, you have bad ones. When you look back at the different teams you were on, who's your favorite team and why? Um, you know, we, I had a, a, a kind of odd SF career. I was in, uh, I went straight to the, they call it the SIF, Sif at yeah, the time. Yeah. And we, we more operated in like a three team mm -hmm. troop. Yep. So it was more like the teams didn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, that, um, that the time, like Oh seven, uh, timeframe, we got the opportunity to do some like unilateral stuff for, uh, for JSOC or whatnot. Yeah. And, uh, it was, uh, that was probably my best we we're, were at a top of our game and we're, yeah. we did pretty good, man. But, uh, yeah, I spent yeah. my last nine years in C37, the seventh yeah. group, CRIF, yeah, and or SIF and then CRIF. Uh, and we got we got one of those rotations too where it was like more unilateral. It was like 
a breath of fresh air at times uh, yeah. to, to be able to do that instead of, uh, yeah, yeah, the Greenberry mission's great. You go and you work by, with, and through, but sometimes it's nice to just be able to talk in English to each other and go do some yeah. things with your brothers. And, yeah. I mean, we did, uh, we also did like that same like group of guys we did, yeah. uh, we, we built and with, with their group, uh, yeah. the Iraqi counterterrorism yeah. force, uh, yeah. which is, those guys were essentially like the only people that when we left there that kind of stood yeah. up and fought ISIS and yeah. did, did well. So, I mean, that's something yeah. I can look back on. ICTF, right? Yeah. yeah. And they, they did a good job, man. And, yeah. uh, those guys, those guys were great. Yeah. When you, uh, when you look back and you think about, uh, even in the troop concept, yeah. uh, when you think about like the guys that you, when I pop a question of like, who's the best teammate you ever worked with? Right. Don't yeah. have to say his name, but yeah. when you, when that guy pops in your mind, what are the three things that you look at and you're like, that's why I think he's the best teammate. Um, but the best teammate I ever had, I'll say his name. He's about to, uh, he's going to be the fifth group sergeant major in yeah. a couple of months, Travis, uh, Esterby. Yeah. And the reason why is cause, uh, we actually went to the Q course together and stuff, but, um, we'd hold each other accountable. Yeah. So like there was no, and we talk about this a lot in my current job, but like, yeah. There was no holding back if if we were, you know, you go through phases when you're a Green Beret. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you, 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 I don't know about you, but yeah. guys like get lazy yeah. and it's just, it's in yeah. a, so if I was getting lazy or out yeah. of shape or whatever because of life, um, you know, he was the guy that like, just be honest with me yeah. and call me out. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, I trusted him in combat and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then uh, another one would be the, that warrant officer I was yeah. talking about uh, when I was a team sergeant. Kerry uh, Hyde's his name is uh, he's a super squared away, and probably one of the guys that taught me the most about leadership yeah. at an organizational level. So no, it's awesome. Yeah. It, it uh, you know I told you earlier I was talking to Ryan Jensen uh, for another episode, and he was talking about the same thing on the pro football side yeah. of like needing especially as a young dude coming into the NFL, needing two or three other dudes that will be honest with you and give you that sharp criticism respectfully, like yeah. man to man, but not to just have, especially as you're working up. So it's so uh, true for us as Green Berets, like you, you may be working really hard on this one skill and you might've left some other things like to kind of atrophy and like somebody coming up to you that you respect and be like, Hey bro, like you need to you need to fix this or you need to do that. I had a couple of great dudes on on at least one on every team I was on that it was the same kind of deal. Like I, I appreciated that more than probably anything uh, because you you think one thing about yourself and then the way you're perceived by others is something completely different, right? Yeah. So yeah. It's good to get that feedback and be able to fix it, and not just be blissfully ignorant, like walking around and everybody thinks you know uh, something different. And I about think it. I think the best yeah. organizations, even in the civilian world, yeah. is uh, that everybody holds each other accountable. Yeah. That's a, that's the main. Trait. Nothing better than a yeah. uh, a or after yeah. uh, either a, a, an op or a training op where everybody is fully on the table, everything's open. Uh, you know, might come to fists sometimes, but yeah. it. Afterwards, the organization is better and every every person in the organization is better. And I agree. It's very hard. Like uh, it's, it's hard to be able to build that much trust, to be able to hold each other accountable, especially in something in, in a lot of civilian places. But the more people are honest with each other, the better I think it is for for them and the organization. So let's get to because like one of the main things I want to talk with you about is 
your transition into sales and now some of the things you're doing with Shift Group to help others transition into sales. As you, you know, you you were in charge of a task force, you come off of that, you go to JSAL. As you're thinking about, okay, I'm coming up on my transition, I may transition, uh, you know, I may retire, I may not, you know, whatever it is. Uh, was sales something like, wh- how did that pop in your mind? What made you sort of think, okay, hey, this might be something? Because a lot of guys come out and sales is like a dirty word. Yeah. And they like, it's like, oh, I don't want to be a used car salesman. And I remember one of the first transition things I did, I was talking to some business mentor and I was like, yeah, I don't know, I might do something with sales. And he was like, I've never in two years heard anybody say that. And I was like, well, I mean, we're always selling ourselves. It's all like, we're either selling ideas or whatever else. Like, I don't think that's a, like a negative. And he's like, no, 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 I get it. But he's like, I've never had a vet or a service member, even remotely, every time I bring it up, they like smack it out of my hand kind of thing. And so what made you go against that and say, hey, this is a career I can use my skills. So um, when I, you know, I got down here, uh, it was, when I left fifth grade, I'm a native Floridian. Yeah, I, uh, I went to high school in the Keys. Yeah, nice. And, uh, yeah. Um, I, I strategically got myself back down to Tampa. <laughs> yeah. So I knew I was going to retire yeah. before I even yeah. PCS down yeah. here. So uh, when I got down here, um, I working for US SOCOM, which we both we both did. Yeah. I knew right away. I was like, I don't want to be a government employee. Yeah. Because yeah. that's just it's a huge bureaucracy and nothing against it. It's just. Yeah. The, I didn't, that's just not what I wanted to do. And, yeah. and uh, so I knew that was good that I got to see that because I'm like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Because I think a lot of our co, co- our coworkers and fire buddies, they, they they retire and they just like go jump over. It's an to, easy answer. Yeah. yeah. It's, and nothing against it, man. We need like, yeah. we need good dudes as GS civilians and contractors. Yeah. I, when I first got to SOCOM, I was like, yeah, okay. Like, cause that's just like a well-worn pathway. I was like, Oh yeah, when I retire, maybe I'll do that. And the longer I worked in the building, the more I was like, I don't want that red tape. Yeah. <laughs> like I want to go do something else. <laughs> like at least for a little while. Like, yeah. So yeah. the uh, and the second thing was is like at the time it was the reassur or not the re the surgence of uh, Sodif and Honor Foundation, yeah, right? Yeah. And uh, so both of those uh, were pushing NCOs to. Uh, Everybody, in my opinion, looked the same. It was like, uh, oh, especially all this E nines, yeah. And, and it seemed to me like they were they were pushing everybody towards like project management, yeah, PMP, getting and, all that yeah. kind of stuff, yep. right? And I was like, I was like, well, in my mind, I, I was like, man, I've been a, a a leader for the past like ten years at a minimum. Yeah. I haven't been an individual contributor since I was right. like an E six. So like, um, I don't want to get into project management and lead teams on projects and stuff. Cause if I'm going to do that, I might as well just stay in, yeah. in the army. Cause that's what a, a yeah. senior NCO does. So then I, I started kind of doing my little exploration on my own. I didn't join any of those transition groups. Yeah. And then, um, I, a couple of my like high school buddies, I, I still fish with a lot of them, yeah. you know, here and on, you know, over my 20 years. The guys that are like millionaires were in sales. Yeah. Like out of all my buddies, the the, the most successful guys like sold stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I asked them about sales and they're like, man, you'd you'd be perfect, right? Yeah. So uh I just I, I just got it in my head that's what I wanted to do. I didn't know anything about it. So I started researching on LinkedIn. I ran across like software sales. Mm-hmm. It's called uh SAS. Yeah. And um 
I was like, wow, man, these people are like sitting at their house making a hundred grand, yeah. you know, on Zoom and stuff. So like, I just like, that sounds like, you know, I can be home with my kids and all that stuff. So I got in, I got into that. Um, that's a whole, and there was, we could, we could talk about shift group later, but there's yeah. a lot of issues. It took me like 40 interviews yeah. uh, to, to just get a, a, a $40,000 base pay job. Yeah. And to be a entry level uh, salesperson called yeah. a sales development rep. Yeah. But so I, I I finally got one, and once I got my foot in the door, I just started crushing everybody. Yeah. Like, like just 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 using you know our attributes yeah. that that just made us effort successful. And, yeah. yeah. And effort and to be able to pivot and <laughs> yeah. talk to people on your green beret skills. Well, there's so much negotiation as a green beret, yeah. like whether it's whether it's to your own unit to let you do something yeah. or whether it's to a host nation to, you know, to get approval or get support. Like, I think a lot of people don't realize the amount of like, um, there are some soft careers where you get handed yeah. a mission package and then you just go execute that package and Green Berets by and large get like, here's a problem. Yeah. Like help us figure out how to fix this. And so it lends itself much more to like, strategic thinking and, and negotiation and all these things that go along or or I should say are well used afterwards, right? Yeah. Like you've honed a lot of those muscles. It just, it looks maybe a little different. It sounds a little bit different, but there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Um, how'd you find, you know, it, SaaS is a, uh, is a really popular career field. People trying to get into software as yeah. a service, trying to sell that because there is like this pot of gold and it seems like, oh yeah, if I just book some demos and I get some people on this stuff, I can sit at home, yeah. make a ton of money. Um, but we, you know, we talk about all the great things that we can do or we have done in our career, but it's hard to show that value proposition to somebody who's only looking at like 40 SaaS uh, resumes, and then there's this one for this like Ranger Green Beret dude over here who's never done that specific type of sales. How did you finally break through? What did you end up doing since you weren't, uh, you know, very successful at the beginning? Um, I stopped. I I hit LinkedIn, man. Yeah. So I stopped uh, applying. I, I went to, at first. I was just applying to every job just, I saw. Yeah, just like sitting just resumes. Hitting the yeah. button, dude, <laughs> and. Um, Usually I'd get an interview every time because really? like, they would just be like, what the, who, yeah, who is know? this dude? <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause they're getting like 22 yeah. year olds from like college yeah. and stuff. They're like, what? Just what? out of curiosity. Yeah. It's like, Hey man, who is this dude? And I mean, they would, sometimes they would start the interview with like, uh, Hey man, we're not going to hire you. I just want to talk to you. Meet you. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, <laughs> I finally got this, uh, this Ivy league guy who's like a Patriot and, uh, he's yeah. like a military historian and this real smart dude. Yeah. Uh, he's, I, I, I applied to his company and, um, the, uh, actually I'll take that back. I, I, I started networking on LinkedIn yeah. and if I would apply somewhere before I apply somewhere, I would hit up like five people in the company yeah. and start like yeah. engaging, yeah. engaging on their content, yeah. asking questions. And then I would be like, I would apply like a week later and be like, I apply mm-hmm. well, with that guy. I already chatted him up and he thought yeah. it was cool that I was like a green beret or whatnot. And then I, uh, I applied and, and I got hired like in a week or whatever Yeah, because he like understood the attributes that, that we bring to the table. And then, um, after that, it was weird after I got my foot in the door and I was like an SDR for a month. Yeah. Every company wanted to hire me. Yeah. Cause then you had that one foothold in that showed like, okay, he's got some experience. He, he at least could, 
not get run out the building it's within stu- the first it, to be week. Honest with you, yeah. it's, it's really stupid. It's not like because every company is yeah. different, every experience right. is different, and you can't apply what you did at one company right. to another company. But once I was like an SDR, yeah. I, I would it, it was during COVID and the hiring boom and a lot of money. Yeah. They were just like I was getting hundreds of request a week to interview for SDR positions. But uh it's like the dating scene when you're yeah. you know, when you're a young dude and you got you're getting no play, all of a sudden you got a girlfriend and everybody want, you know, giving you time a day. You're like, yeah. where'd this come from? Yeah. So uh I, I I did really well for eight months as an SDR and uh a, a Green Beret colonel named Mark Davis reached out to me and he's yeah. like, Hey, there ain't a lot of Green Berets in sales, man. Like yeah. I work for this company called Ban Air. You wanna come mm-hmm. over? And um so He's like, I want to hire like three people. So I actually got him in touch with uh, Travis Price and, and Nate, who you know. And yeah. We built a little, we built a sales team from scratch there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was almost like my first year, I was pushing like $2 million nice. in sales yeah. and, uh, you know, I had some pretty good commission checks, yeah. but I, I didn't want to travel anymore. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, uh, I did two things. I took the commission checks and I started a business here in Tampa where I uh, rent uh, dumpsters to roofers. And then I started with Shift Group, which is an organization that was taking athletes uh, right out of college and professional athletes Mm -hmm. and helping them uh, get entry level sales jobs. Well, like JR, the CEO Shift Group's like, you know, and and I, I didn't really realize this until I talked to him the transition from like an elite college athlete or a yeah. pro is similar to the military. Yeah, I don't know if much. you talked to your, yeah. your guy for the Tampa Bay Bucks said the yeah. same thing, but they, they, they went 20 years mm-hmm. from like five years old up to 24, yeah. like trying to master a sport yeah. at a high level. And then it's just over. This episode is brought to you by the 1952 society. Your support is crucial to the Green Beret Foundation's efforts to improve the U.S. Army Special Forces community. In joining the 1952 Society, you are directly impacting Green Berets, their families, survivors, and caregivers with supplemented support not covered by the U.S. DOD or the Department of the VA. Through a monthly recurring donation, you can help the Foundation meet the increasing needs of the regiment. Take the first step and join the 1952 Society today at greenberetfoundation.org society. This episode is brought to you by Andy's Fund. The Master Sergeant Andrew Marcasano Suicide Prevention Fund supports the mental health care needs of Green Berets and their families not covered by military health care. GBF takes a holistic perspective considering treatments and therapies that may address underlying concerns such as substance abuse, PTS, TBI, chronic pain, and more, which can contribute to suicidal ideation. The Green Beret Foundation aims to ensure every Green Beret and their family receives the necessary treatment and care, leaving no one behind. To learn more, visit greenberetfoundation.org slash Andy's Fund. Yeah, I got a yeah. chance. I did uh, Tuck Next Step. So that's uh, like a MBA accelerator at Dartmouth in the Tuck Business School. And it's only like college and pro athletes and military, right? Yeah. And it's like so much crossover. It was super cool to be up there and like talking to these people. They're like literally like I've done this like whatever luge yeah. Since I was six, I went to three Olympics, and now, like, unless I'm coaching luge or doing so, like, how do I tell people? You know, obviously, you've got all of this work ethic, determination, all of these things to be able to be successful, but how to explain that in a value proposition in an elevator pitch to somebody, and even frankly, to just figure out what you want to do? They're in the same boat we are, right? Yeah, like, exactly. they don't know. 
They don't know what the chessboard looks like or what the pieces are, much less which one they want to be. Exactly. Right? So yeah. it's super cool. That's why when I heard, uh, you know, I started seeing your stuff about shift group and realized it was an athlete and uh, military thing. I'm like, man, that is that makes a ton of sense why JR wanted to add military on because it's not that much of a different mission. It seems maybe from the outside like that would be uh, different, but it's really not. It's very similar, like transitioning from something that you spent your entire life just like wanting to do since you were a little kid yeah. to now like, how am I going to put food on the, you know, on the, on exactly. the table for my family? Yeah. Um, how did you, you know, once you, once you started getting into that, now that you guys are, uh, are doing that stuff with shift group, what have you learned so far? What have you seen positively, negatively of people that are coming and you guys are training? So, um, it, it's interesting. I get, a, I get to talk to a lot of transition people and I, you know, I went through my transition, which was unique, you know, with, with a zero, I would say zero help from any yeah. organizations, which, you know, that was my own fault, but that's how I wanted to do it. Right. And I think what, what I'm seeing is, and I, I told you this prior to the podcast yeah. is like high eighties or 90, low 90% of people quit their first job within their first year after yeah. they retire or Very just true. ETS. Yeah. And I think the number one reason is, is they, um, just went and got a, a job. Yeah off of other people's advice and they didn't understand what they were going to get themselves into. Yeah. And then they got into the job and they started doing the day to day. And they're just like, especially for a retired guy who has like another source of income, they're <laughs> like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. Right. Yeah. Like I can't do this for the next 10 years. Yeah. And so like the advice that I, I give to a lot of shift group candidates is like, there, I don't think you're ever truly going to be happy in a job. Like I don't think people wake up every yeah. day and do jumping jacks because they're, they're, <laughs> they're doing whatever job they do. Yeah. Um, but do you like the people that you're surrounded by on a daily basis? And then, or do you get along with your first and second line supervisor? Yeah. Like, do you respect them? Right. And for someone like us, who's more senior non-commissioned officers, and that's the problem I had in SAS, yeah. was like, I was working for people that were good at their jobs, but I didn't respect them as leaders, yeah, right? Sure. So that's why I made well, that. Well, because you knew they didn't have this experience, they're super young, they're, you know, they haven't been put through this furnace of, uh, you know, refining fire of yeah. leadership. And so you know, I mean, it's it, when you've been around really great leaders a lot, it's yeah. very obvious when someone's not. And don't yeah. get me wrong, there's it's not an age thing. No, yeah, I've yeah. ran across some like, like that guy that hired me in my first job, yeah. uh, Andrew from the, the I, he was a younger guy and he was a great leader. Um, it's just, I, if you, if you, as a, as a senior NCO that gets out of the army or officer, yeah. it's, you're not going to last if you got a leader that you don't respect. Yeah. So that's the two things I Makes try sense. to tell them. And I think the rest of it, like the, the, why I, I kind of pitch sales to people is like, obviously, like you said, people think used car salesmen, but it's not yeah. like that. Sales is, is the perfect job for, a green beret and a vet. And the yeah. reason why is, is like the it's for us, it's, it's no different than a combat deployment without the risk, but you're like identifying a target, mm -hmm. researching it, yep. trying to figure out how to get in front of them. Then once you get in front of them, you know, you got to like pitch them value props, try to solve their problems as a, like a consultant. Yeah. And then you got to ask them for money. And then, but there's this like up and down, and it's never the same. Yeah. And you make your day. Like your day is like however you structure it, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody's gonna tell you how to yeah. how to structure your day. So like I was like, man, this is perfect, right? So like the amount of effort and amount of time you put into research and 
like how to be a good sales uh, professional, yeah. it, it equals more money, right? right? So like if you go the project management route, and I told you this prior to the podcast, yeah. if you go the project manager route, so you go work for Amazon or something like that, and you're making they they like everybody likes that base pay, right? They're like, right. oh, it's 150k or whatever. But I'm like, they're gonna find if you go there and you put the same amount of work ethic and, and intelligence and everything you did in, as your active duty sergeant mm -hmm. major or whatever, um, you're still gonna make the same amount of money as the person left of you that's working like half the time as right. you and having subpar results. But in sales, yeah. like. The more you sell, the more you make. The yeah, huge upside in yeah. sales. Like your commission, you know, especially if you get in the right place where it's uncapped and there's yeah. no, you know, a, all of that effort can potentially come back to you as opposed to you being sort of capped at what that base pay is. And, 100%. It, and I think like the only problem I've, I've, I've ran into at Shift Group is like I have really good success with young, young service members yeah. that did like eight years and under yeah. the ones that are a little older like us, yeah. um, they get wrapped around, uh, base pay and, and money. Yeah. And I, and, and I try to tell them, I'm like, Hey, like the base pay doesn't matter. Like, cause yeah. you're used to as a service member right. having a, you know how much you're going to make. Yeah. But like, if you bet on yourself, you know, like my, 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 my first year at Banair, you know, yeah. I was like, uh, easily pushing up to 200 K. Yeah. Right. And so, like, it's it's there. You just got to bet on yourself, right? Yeah. What's interesting yeah. is like the biggest uh, the biggest risk, the biggest negative to going into sales is everybody needs a little bit of a ramp to get up to where they've they've got their book, they're yeah. making sales, and they're getting that commission in, right? And so, for the average person, if they're getting into sales, they don't have other income streams to be able to sort of buoy them during that. Yeah. But if you're retired, you have that. I mean, yeah. you have the opportunity to go in and be like, hey, I'm going to bet on myself for this next year. I'm going to, you know, I, hey, I'm going to live off of my retirement initially until my commission starts, until I start hitting deals and I start getting a full funnel. Like you have that opportunity. But for most people, as you get out, it's like, okay, well, uh, I just want something, you know, solid that I know is coming in. And so I, I get why more people after 20, even though it would seem like that'd be the perfect thing to try to do there. A lot of them also have, uh, you know, especially if they weren't enlisted, if they were officers, a lot of them haven't actually done a whole lot of like individual contributor things. And they've been doing a lot of sort of conducting the orchestra instead of playing an instrument. And it's hard to think to like, okay, I'm going to go back into this even though if they do it and they do it well, they're probably going to be more successful if they just, you know, kind of coasted into a high base pay job. But but here here's something yeah. I learned about civilian business. Like, unless you're like living off um, government contracts or yeah. whatever, like you have to sell something. Yeah, so <laughs> people like, aren't just giving you money every year like the federal. No, so you, know, you have to sell something. Yeah. That, that's what businesses do, right? So like yeah. that being said. Like it's almost a recession proof job. Yeah. Right. And if yeah. you're good. Yeah. Not if you're not good. Right. But if you're yeah. good, like even in a bad economy, yeah. yeah. That's you gotta sell like that's more important than yeah. anything. Throttle into it. Yeah. 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 But that's that's kind of why I got into sales, man. Yeah. No, I get it. I I I had this conversation, like I said earlier, where I, you know, I had a bunch of these mentorship conversations where I talked about it, but I, then I actually ended up like not really going into sales and sort of finding my way into it from the other side, right? I, yeah. I, I joined an organization where 
I was just sort of going to be the CEO's number, you know, number two, his right hand guy to kind of help him be an extension of him going across uh, sales ops and, and HR finance. In between the time I accepted the job and when I actually started, the, the VP of sales left for another company. So when I came in, I was doing this kind of over the top deal for a couple months. And finally, it was like there was this huge power, your huge vacuum over here of like, hey, man, people just need they don't really need somebody that's going to tell them how to sell. They just need somebody to go to and help facilitate and try to remove obstacles. So it's like, all right, I'll fill in. Uh, and then now it's like, OK, I'm, now I'm going from the opposite side of like learning as I'm trying to help uh, everybody yeah. you know, create their sales strategies and all this stuff. But it is like I, I tell my people all the time, it's like, hey, uh, you know, I I'm not coming in telling you I know sales. I'm not coming in telling you I know IT, but I do know targeting. And that's what we're doing. Like, yeah. If we if we put this out logically and we think about strategically how who we're going after and how we're going to do as much research as possible so that we know what their pain points are and what their problems are, then we know coming in that we can fill them and we can do it better than who they're buying from now. That's targeting. It's targeting a little differently than yeah. we were doing over there, but yeah. it's very similar when you start looking at how you're connecting dots to different people and who works where and what that company does and all that stuff. So it's been really interesting for me because it wasn't, uh, you know, I for a while thought I might just do straight sales and then I yeah. kind of went away from it and ended up over here and still ended up uh, yeah. with a bunch of sales stuff, which is good. I wanted, I wanted something, I think you were in the same boat where sometimes you get towards the end of your career and you want something non-military yeah. for a while and like go solve somebody else's problems for a while and not just get into the same military, like, okay, it's, it's September. We got to spend this money because we're not going to have it in October, like all the same things that you've been dealing with. So, um, but no, man, I, I think it's super interesting that you fought through it, were successful and then found a way now to give back to people so that they don't have to be in the same boat. Like I'm an advocate for the honor foundation. I went through it. I think they're getting better and better at not kind of pushing people into into PMP or whatever, having it be more like a choose your own adventure. And as there's more and more mentors that have come through the program or have mentored people, I think it broadens out the opportunity to be, uh, you know, able to walk in and say, hey, I want to learn sales. Like, cool. Hey, we got Sean. You, you start, you know, you're going to have Sean as your mentor and you can go in that direction. So I'm a huge advocate of that. But for you having been able to make it through without it, and now to hook up with JR and, and do this with Shift Group, I think is really interesting. And so I want to give an opportunity for people to hopefully maybe, you know, maybe you're listening to this, you're not anywhere near transition. All I would say, and I, you probably concur, is like, don't shut the door on sales um, just because you think it's some kind of used car salesman thing. Like there's a lot of skills that you probably have that you've been using that will make you successful. And what I tell our salespeople, it's like, I, it's, there's a difference if I'm like a telemarketer who's calling you and asking you to pull your own personal wallet out and like buy something from me versus B2B sales where it's like, hey, you are already buying this from someone. Let me earn your business. Let me show you that we've got a better product at a better price, at a better you know quality, et cetera. And it, it to me, it takes some of that kind of bad taste out of your mouth that maybe you have when you initially think of sales. So um, tell people how to get in touch with, um, with you, with yeah. Shift Group, who exactly you're looking for, what they should expect, all those things. Yeah, so like like uh, you said, like Shift Group's a, we're an organization that helps uh, athletes and military vets. Um, number one, we train them like mm -hmm. uh, yeah. on, they do a little career exploration and we train them on uh, sales. And uh, then we, we take uh, 
there we we put them in this portal called Shift Connect, and we mm. we we uh, partner with a hundred and something companies, and they hire you know the people from Shift Group, and that's how we get paid. We get paid mm. by the company, so like everything's free. Yeah, and uh, I would say we got an eighty percent attrition rate, not because it's hard or anything, but the very first uh, module is like, hey, this is sales. Mm-hmm. This is like what you're going to be doing, all this kind of stuff. Is this for you? Yeah. And you'll Sometimes find out. Sometimes that's better. Yeah. yeah. Find out quick. Yeah. And then you know? a yeah. lot of them are like, nah, man, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> I don't want to make 200 calls a day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, uh, that's where it comes from. And then, so we train you and then, you know, you, you get a job, with one of our partners and, uh, we have some very specific criteria on who we partner with. Mm-hmm. So n- none of these companies are like scumbag, hundred percent right. commission, yeah. like any type of Ponzi scheme. Type. Yeah. These are like real deal companies that yeah. you have a opportunity to make hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then, um, yeah, so we do that. And, uh, the way to get a hold of this is just go to shiftgroup.io. Mm-hmm. Um, all our information is on there. You just go up there yeah. or you can hit me up on LinkedIn. Like, yeah. uh, the power of LinkedIn is something that I think a, a lot of vets underutilize because yeah. of, uh, you know, we're used to not talking in the public mm-hmm. and OPSEC and all that stuff. But if once you start transitioning, man, you need to get on LinkedIn yeah. and don't ask people for favors. Just uh, connect with people and ask questions. And, and, and uh, that's the best way to do it. And the people want to help you out there. So like if but don't don't ask anybody for anything. That's yeah. the key. Like the majority of like the deals I make for shift group where I sign up new, new companies to, to hire our vets is to, uh, what I call social selling, which mm-hmm. is like LinkedIn engagement. Right. Yeah. So like, uh, it's a very powerful tool and I recommend every vet like learns how to use it. And the, the key is, is to like reset your mind and you want to have like a learning mentality and just start asking a bunch of questions and people will love to help you out. Yeah, I uh, I think uh, you know as we're wrapping up, uh, one thing I'll say is like Sean's one of my favorite uh, followers on LinkedIn. What I would say for LinkedIn is like be authentic. Don't go on there and try to be somebody else. Like what I like about what you uh, what you put out there is like it's very much you, right? It's like yeah. you're not trying to do it in the mold of someone else so that people so that you get engagement or whatever. It's like no, this is Sean like unfiltered at times. Like hey, yeah. I hate this part of this industry, and it's like hey, I'm not saying that because I want some sort of engagement algorithm. It's like no, I want I want to have this conversation, and uh, you know, LinkedIn is a huge, huge uh, way to be able to promote yourself or at least put your best foot forward and have people get a feel of who you are if you're authentic about it. But uh, hey, man, I appreciate you coming in. Yeah. I appreciate you walking us through some of your you know stuff, leadership lessons learned, things like that. And really interesting in the transition space, you know, we're doing this podcast on behalf of the Green Beret Foundation. They talk about a lot about transition. They partner with different people on the next Ridgeline thing. But transition is something that, uh, you know, We'll, we'll talk about in a whole bunch of different episodes in different ways, but I also I always like to kind of shine a light on unique things yeah. that I don't think are, are uh, you know, the run of the mill every day, just, hey, yeah, go be a PMP or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think we've got we've to be able to realize that there's broad skills or there's a broad range of skills and there's a broad range of, uh, you know, careers uh, out there available. So thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, uh, check out Shift Group. Check out Sean specifically on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you're listening to it, uh, go up and rate and review the show, please. Make sure you're subscribed so you see these episodes as soon as they come out every two weeks. 
Uh, check out the Green Beret Foundation on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. They're all over the place. Check out their mission and what they do for our community uh, across all of their different uh, lines of effort. And then uh, check out the show. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit the little bell. Give us a like, all that stuff. If you're listening to it and you want to see the video, uh, go and check out at Prep for Impact on uh, LinkedIn, or excuse me, on YouTube, as well as Instagram. And if you want to get a laugh of some military humor, you can always go check it out. Check out the meme page on Instagram at another SF meme page. So uh, I appreciate you guys tuning in and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Prep for Impact. Thanks for listening to another episode of Prep for Impact. Just as a reminder, everything you heard on this episode and every episode of Prep for Impact are just the opinions of the speakers, whether that's the host or the guest, and they're not the official position of either the Green Beret Foundation, their employers, the Department of Defense, or anyone else. And with that disclaimer in mind, I want to take a quick second to give you my opinion on the best way to prep for impact. Across my life, whether it's as a Green Beret or personally, I found no more secret weapon than to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, my Savior, and to walk His path rather than mine. And so if you're curious about that, or if you ever want to talk, my DMs are always open. Thanks for listening to Prep for Impact.